0: Don't touch that dial. The theme music has changed, but this is still word-by-word conversation with writers from KRCBFM. The new uplifting theme music is Bill Condi's aptly titled Glider One, and this is Gil Manser welcoming you to our annual gift book suggestions show. With frost or at least soggy rain in the air and bells tinkling, The holidays are just around the corner, and on this special broadcast, the conversation is with Cheryl Kotler and Michelle Bella, the front-list buyers for the Copperfields bookstores. These knowledgeable women will share their favorite picks for novels and nonfiction for adults, as well as picture books and novels for children. So keep a notebook handy, either paper or digital, to make a list and check it twice for some fabulous suggestions for gift books this year. Cheryl and Michelle, I want to welcome you to Word by Word.
1: Thank you. Hi, Gil.
0: Before we talk about your selections, how about if you share a little bit about your background? For example, I know that Cheryl spent five years as a book buyer at Book Passage in Corte Madera. But where did this love of the printed word begin?
2: My famous story is um, after I got my graduate degree, I couldn't find a job and I wandered into the cottage bookshop. So what was the degree in? Um, I have an MFA. In? In fine arts. Okay. Yeah. And I wandered into my neighborhood cottage bookshop in San Rafael, California, that had been in an existence when this was in 1986. When it closed in 94, it had been in existence 45 years. And I said to the clerk, you guys hiring? And the (laughs) next thing I knew, I had a job at $4.85 an hour. Wow! And the rest is history.
0: Princely. Some. (laughs) Yeah. The rest is history. So Bella, how did you get your love of books?
1: Well, I've always loved books and art. My whole life. And I, when I was in college at Long Beach, I worked in the bookstore there. And I've worked at Copperfields for over 20 years.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's because you wanted to live close to home at the time. Is that right?
1: That's correct. I live in Grayton.
0: Right. Which is pretty close.
1: It's surrounded by Sebastopol.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so how, what is involved in being a, a book buyer for what well, I guess we'll call a small chain is, uh, do people send you catalogs and you look through and say, I like that one? Or do you get uh, pitches from from salespeople who knock on your door or emails or what?
2: You uh, get all of those things. And it's funny looking over the 25, 27-year span of being a buyer in one way, shape, or form. Um, there's been catalogs that long and much, much longer, but now it's gone digital. We mm-hmm. work with electronic catalogs. Having said that, we also get galleys. We get pre-advanced copies of books to look at, occasional manuscripts. We read the catalog copy. We compare it to um, other books like it and the author's whole oeuvre. And we also get blurbs and emails from reps and other people who know about these books coming out. And then the actual salesperson comes in after we've done our work Mm -hmm. preparing the electronic catalog and sits and pitches what they know – More about the book. They might have read it before we have. Their sales team might have read it. There's a whole lot of conversation that happens. But the thing that I've always felt really strongly about that people need to know is that there's a curatorial aspect to an independent bookstore's buying um, habits. And that's something I'm very proud of. We really bring a wealth of knowledge to the job. We read quite a bit. We really discuss with our colleagues what the books are about and what chances we want to take with them and how we want to promote them. I mean, I'm not saying that there's not, none of that goes on with Chains, but it's far more formulaic in the so-called other end of publishing, other, in our independent bookstore, and we're very curatorial.
0: So do you have a, a collection of readers in mind when you're getting your books? In other words, how do you, you know, the New York Times list, what is it, 10 books every mm-hmm. month, and... and uh, there's other lists that comes out, bestsellers, mm-hmm. and certainly the big publishers always want to push their books on their front list books. Mm-hmm. Is there no Explain the difference between front list and back list.
2: It's simple. The book is a front list book when it's first being sold into a store. The minute it sells just one copy, it's become back list. Really? So front list means brand new.
0: Okay. Never been there before. Never been there before. All right. Even in a different version.
1: Well, Well, sometimes they do
2: new editions of old books, and then you're
1: buying it as a front list.
0: Right. So it's the 50th anniversary edition of something. Uh, Even the the paperback
1: version of something can be considered front list. That's true.
0: Is this true for um, children's books as well? Same kind of process?
1: Yes. It is the same process. A lot of the picture books, we do get physical copies of the the unbound book to be able to tell what it looks like. But that's not as much as it used to be. Because of the digital, it's so much cheaper to do it digitally.
0: So does the artistry of the book mean a lot to you when you're making your selections?
1: Absolutely. For the children's books and the gift books and the cookbooks, the the actual physical package is very important. And that's why sometimes – like. This cookbook is a 10-speed cookbook, which is a local Bay Area mm-hmm. publisher, and I know I have confidence. Well, tell
0: everybody what book you're holding. This book Anne.
1: is called Jerusalem. It's a cookbook, and it, the production value on this book is just excellent. Mm-hmm. Everything about it, I mean, the recipes look really good, but the, the package is almost perfect as far as I can tell. and uh, But I trust Tenspeed to be able to produce this type of book and to do it again. So if they have another one with a similar take, I, I know. I feel confident that they'll it'll be nice.
0: So this is a cookbook. To say the author's names.
1: Oh, thank you. Uh, Yotam Olengi and Otolengi. And Sammy Tamimi. Yeah. This is and
0: you were telling me they have a restaurant in England? Is London. Right? London. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's in England. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah.
0: And that you have uh, shared some of the food from their previous book.
2: Yeah, Yotam came to the Bay Area and the publisher um, put on a dinner for a bunch of us booksellers and other people in the pub- in the foodie world in mm-hmm. the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. And so it was a great chance to sit and talk with him while the food was being served at our table. It was right. fabulous. And it was his previous cookbook before this one. It's called Plenty.
1: And f- from another local... Publisher yeah. Chronicle Books yeah. also right. does I- yeah. incredible job with packaging. Yeah,
0: right. Well, let's turn to novels, for, an, for a bit. Uh, we're we're going to have, have a combination of ingredients. We're going to look at novels and picture books and uh, nonfiction books and who knows what else books. But let's start with Barbara Kingsolver's *Flight Behavior* because it's uh, the description. Della Robia Turnbow is the protagonist. She's a farm wife who gave up her own plans when she accidentally became pregnant and 17 and had settled for a decade of domestic disharmony on a failing farm and seeks to escape with an obsessive flirtation with a younger man. Heading off to her tryst, she encounters a shocking sight, a silent forested valley filled with what looks like a lake of fire. And suddenly, the place is inundated with scientists and seers in the other world and uh, religious fanatics, and anyone else you can think of who would appear with a mysterious sighting like this. Is that the summary of the book?
2: It's a—it's very good. Um, you know, Barbara Kingsolver is such a fabulous storyteller. So although there is always a kind of a social justice and or environmental quality to the stories she tells, they don't overwhelm the story at all. Mm-hmm. These are characters that you really get interested in. And I don't believe it gives anything away to say that this Dela Robia sees this river of fire in a valley and comes rushing home, doesn't know what to do with that information. She's not wearing her glasses. When people finally go up to see what it is she's seen in this valley, it's a massive hundreds of thousands of millions, I don't my figures of, um, no, no, no
0: don't, don't, don't give it away. Uh, oh. Please. It just okay. glows. Okay, all right. just glows. It just glows. Okay.
2: <laughs> then don't say any more about no. what she sees. No. Having said that, um, I love the quality of um, all the different characters. Their stories are carried very well. And it has a kind of a real rollicking sort of – the way it reads, it's almost like um, Baptist preaching. It's just got this really good – fun quality of reading to it that I enjoyed when I was in that book.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, she is a wonderful writer. The um, You have novels for young readers, too, that you, you like to talk about and that you put on your list. And uh, one of those is called Every Day by, is it David Levithan? Levithan, yes, yeah,
1: that's, that's correct. Every Day is a really interesting book for older teenagers. And is that young adult? It's young adult, okay. considered young adult. Um, this The character wakes up every day in a different body. And sometimes it's... I mean, it's never in a way...
0: Is that, is that reminds me of the TV show called Quantum Leap. Do you remember that? Where the, I didn't that. No, Did you ever no. see that? Where the man would...
1: We only read books. We're not okay. allowed to watch so. <laughs> it. Anyway, he would
0: transfer into other bodies for short periods of time. Yes. 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 And this
1: is, is slightly tragic in that you don't have much of a life if that's your only life it's for 24 hours. And as soon as you go to sleep again, you're into you someone else. somewhere you, you else. You can't is it really a different stay. time as well as No, it's, it's just a chronological time. Okay. He's growing up and um, – it that setup allows for so many different types of characters to be investigated. And he wakes up as sometimes a girl, sometimes a boy, sometimes in very loving families, sometimes in very difficult situations. Mm-hmm. And he does, he falls in love and finds he. If he's a he, falls in love and finds someone he wants to stay with. But can he? I, mean, I, ah, I won't give it so away. So that's,
0: that's the uh, the challenge. He's really found someone he cares about. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And it really – it brings home how much connection is what we're all about as human beings.
0: Right, right. So um, each year, there – are there themes in books that kind of evolve or – you know, we were – everybody was involved for, you know, a decade with the Harry Potter idea. Mm -hmm. And this – Young adult book is a is a somewhat fantasy. Is that right? Not really science fiction. It's, it's
1: almost science. It's very science it fictiony science fiction. to think that it's an other, but it's not a vampire. It's yeah. not a. It's not that kind of. Fantasy. Not a twilight. Yeah,
0: right. But another. It's something. It's, but all teenagers feel that there's something other for some period of time as they're growing.
1: And up. right now, there's a lot of dystopian future books for teenagers, and I think that speaks to your sense of. N- no control in your the life Hunger of Games what you're doing, yes, that. there's yes. a lot of that and interest right. in books like that
0: right. so do, there's the next question for the buyer, when there's a series like that, and there's lots of press, and radio coverage and TV coverage, and they're maybe going to be making a movie, do you make sure those are on the shelf for your buyers?
1: If a movie looks like it's going to be any good at all, that it, yes there's always course, a you try. Right? well it isn't always but there's, if it was made from a book yeah
0: Right. Bring it in. What's the next book you want to share?
1: Well, I have another one that's also about friendship for young adults and a slightly younger
0: Younger crowd. young adults. Well, what younger would you adults. call uh, I would call them
1: tweens and okay. anything from 10 to 16 maybe. It's, now, that's
0: another question. You know, the categorization of books <laughs> because people read at such different levels. You know, it's not chronological necessarily. Broad
1: range of normal.
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. All right. Yeah.
1: So, yes, uh, often the reason a book would be in the teen section is because of content more mm-hmm. than writing style. Okay. So, there might be things you didn't want your 10 year old to read.
0: So, the Judy Bloom books, where would they be?
1: They're, they cross over to a variety of places. So, and a lot of them are in high school. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, but Liar and Spies by Rebecca Stead, and it's She wrote When You Reach Me last year, and it won the Newbery Medal, and it was more science fiction-y because it had time travel in it. Okay, let's
0: just stop here, something, because not everybody knows how important and how uh, long-lasting the Newbery Medal and what it means.
1: Well, the Newbery Medal, it it is an incredible honor for a book. Only one book – a uh, juvenile, book? juvenile Ju- novel will get it right. every year, and people put little bursts on their books if they get just the honor, if they get mentioned, if they're on the list, rather than even just getting the award. And it's um, there's some excellent books. If you looked at the list from anywhere of the Newbery winners, you'd be pretty
0: you'd, impressed. You'd recognize them. Yes. Yes.
1: And uh, When You Reach Me was very well received. Everybody really liked it. And Liar and Spy is her new book. It's set in New York in New in urban environment, in a difficult situation for kids, and how they have to meet and how they relate to each other, and it has a lot to do with friendship and growth and lying and spying, and it's very interesting. Is it, I don't want is to give any of it away. Present
0: day, so post. It's present day.
1: Parents are unemployed, or one of the parents is unemployed. Kind of economic downturn type thing, but that's not really what it's about. That's no. just the setting. That's right. Yeah. And
0: that's the that's the parents' background that you impacts the kids in some ways but yeah well yeah. they
1: had to move they had to move to an apartment so they could set up this meeting between these two kids and so well written really. so well written so yeah.
0: well written let's look at um, some different kind of books some nonfiction books what do you have in your stack there you want to share
2: um, with us? yeah let's see there is a wonderful book called Black Fire by um, Robert Graysmith who is actually a San Francisco author mm-hmm. And the subtitle is The True Story of the Original Tom Sawyer and of the Mysterious Fires that Baptized Gold Rush Era San Francisco.
0: The True Life Tom Sawyer.
2: Yeah. Okay. So Mark Twain is hanging out in San Francisco,
0: turn of the century. Where he never did say it was the coldest winter in the middle of well, the Well,
2: there's that, yeah, urban <laughs> myth. And um, he actually meets this man who a young man who is a volunteer firefighter, among other things, in a uh, spa hot steam room, and they get to talking and It turns out that there have been a number of arson fires in san francisco, and of course, this is really devastating at the time. The fire engines are hand drug you know run down the street by guys holding poles that are right. attached to the right. fire wagons. And this man he's meeting, whose name is Tom Sawyer, was one of the torch boys that used to run ahead of the fire engine wagons and hold a torch so that they could see their way. So there's these devastating fires that are being set by arson, by an arsonist. And so what's knows. the date, approximately? 19, well, 1900. Okay. Early, you know. And the story that Tom Sawyer is telling Mark Twain is is that he and his a couple of people he's working with, this Tom Sawyer, sets himself up to figure out, investigate who is setting these fires to get ahead of him and get it stopped because everything's wood. Mm -hmm. And there were six major arson fires that are apparently, to this day, some of the worst burning of an urban environment ever by an arsonist Mm. in history. Mm. So there's an investigative quality, there's a suspenseful quality, and there's this wonderful real-life person who's a great storyteller and Mark is so Mark Twain is so impressed by this character that he then names his character in his subsequent book Tom Sawyer hmm. to honor him. Right. So it's a riveting, wonderful read, and it will work for all kinds of ages.
0: I can see. Yeah. Yeah. So you get some history and some literature and some fascinating and exciting adventure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. On one package. Yeah. Yeah. So, in addition, I would love to look at that big book you have there with the, uh, the dragons on the front. Uh,
1: the picture book, yes. Dragons Love Tacos?
0: Dragons Love Tacos. Now, what it shows on the front is, just so I can describe this, it's in colors of orange and purple and yellow. And there's this big something, a big bulbous something laying on the ground it's with a dragon. It's a
1: it is a dragon. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well it didn't I see you had your <laughs> hand over his head. Oh, sorry. So I didn't know that. It is a dragon laying on his back like he's had a very good meal and on top of his belly and in his wide open mouth are obviously tacos by the dozens. They love tacos.
1: Because dragons love tacos. They do. Apparently and all kinds. Even though they misbehave sometimes and might accidentally burn your house down if there's too much hot sauce in their tacos. Yeah, it's the
0: salsa that does it. It's the win. salsa that does it. Right. They don't
1: do it on purpose. But at the end, then, they'll help you rebuild your house if, if there are taco breaks.
0: Uh huh. That's why they have the those little hands like this. Yes. So, they can, <laughs> so, they can, so they can they can eat, they wield can a hammer their, and their, and eat their tacos. And eat their right? tacos, yeah. Well, good.
1: This is a very imaginative uh, story for slightly older uh, children. Not... Okay,
0: it's by Adam Rubin, R U B I N, and illustrated, illustrated by Daniel, Daniel Salmieri. Yes. S A L M I E R I. Yes. All right. Well, that looks good. Fun. It's really fun. Is There's no cookbook to go with that one, yet.
1: There might be a recipe for salsa, that, you know. Oh, no, you don't want to have your kids <laughs> eat that if they're going to be fire-retardant
0: chemicals needed. be funny. I think there might be. Huh. Okay, you have another picture book, the um, the Hanukkah book. Have- that, Because holiday books are a uh, classic tradition at this time of year, aren't
1: they? That's true. People like to give the same book that they grew up with, but then there's always – a new one you can pick up. So
0: what are the popular old books that people are? They well, still The Night giving? Before Christmas. The Night Before Christmas. Yes, absolutely. Right.
1: Everybody, I bet every household has Clement one Moore, Night Before was Christmas. Mm-hmm. There's Polar Express. Uh-huh. It's a hugely popular book every year. You know, There's always new kids. New kids right. need right. these same old books but also brand new books. And there's a series of books by Jane Yolen and Mark Teague called How to Dinosaurs do one thing how do they go to sleep how do they wake up how do they do all these different things and now this year they've done how do dinosaurs say Merry Christmas and a separate book how do dinosaurs say Happy Hanukkah and in the beginning the dinosaurs um, misbehave or you wonder why are, are they misbehaving do they do all these really not appropriate things but in and then in the what end, kinds
0: of things are not appropriate in a picture book for dinosaurs well at Hanukkah, you got my interest Pete. yeah yes
1: does does he blow out the candles oh, when no one is right, there? right, right. Does he peek at the presents stashed under Dad's bed? Does he write his own name on each gift card instead? Ooh, that's a
0: clever idea.
1: And the very next, next day, does he gab up, grab up the gelt, squeezing the candy coins till they all melt? hmm Does he snatch away dreidel so no one else can play? Does he do this for each of eight festive days? No, a dinosaur doesn't. He sings every prayer. He takes turns with the dreidel, remembers to share. He eats up his lackeys and clears away dishes. It goes on. You I can know, see. To the whole thing. Does it rhyme
0: with fishes? <laughs> it's,
1: it's a good one. I like this one. It's
0: fun. It does. It, yeah. And it's interesting because these dinosaurs are dinosaur-sized in the middle of the rooms.
1: And they have adult parents. That's yes. right. Real human parents. Real
0: human parents that are raising them. Well, see, that's it's what parents s- think of their kids sometimes. And sometimes I bet the kids feel
1: like wild dinosaurs, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they can still behave well. <laughs> right. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, back to adult books. We um, one of the nonfiction books that's been getting a lot of attention. The, the is called the Queen of King Queen Cheesh Queen of Kotwe, and uh, it was written by Tom Crothers, who used to write for Sports Illustrated and ESPN Magazine, and it started out as a small piece. I understand yes. about this amazing young girl whose name, and I'm going to have to look at it, Fiona Mutisi. Who yes. was a young Ugandan girl who uh, literally slept in a, you know, wood, mo- uh, mud-walled shack with her mother and siblings and uh, learned to play chess and became a grandmaster in her country.
2: This is an amazing story on many levels. Um, on one level, the uh, poverty in Katwe, which is a suburb of Kampala, Uganda, one of the absolute worst, worst um, I say suburb, I mean to say slum, Right. Um, worst, worst slums outside of Kampala. People are so poor that really it's not even mud hut. It's tin pieces, uh, you know, put together and, and it's in a valley where it floods all the time. And so in the middle of the night, it's sewage and flooding and very, very, very poor. So there's a man named Robert who grew up in that slum who's African who comes back to start a program to try and get something for the kids to do, and mostly he's doing soccer camp for mm-hmm. the kids. Mm-hmm. But he realizes that there are kids who won't play soccer, and he hits upon an idea to do start chess games, and mostly the boys. It's just boys showing up. And one day Fiona follows her brother through all the back alleys and wants to go see what the brother's going to, her brother Brian. She's nine years old. Mm. She's so shy she can barely, she's illiterate and cannot read or write, but she's very shy. And she starts uh, asking if she can learn to play. And Robert says, sure. And her very first teacher is a four-year-old girl who has just enough information to teach her what the pieces mean and how they move how they move and she starts learning how to play chess and she's a whiz she's a natural at it one thing leads to another the country scrapes together enough money to send her to first a a tournament in the sudan and she shocks everybody by winning her mentor robert figures she should go just to learn how to be playing chess with other people Mm -hmm. outside her community Mm -hmm. and then ultimately uganda gets enough money together to send her to russia she's never seen snow she's doesn't have a clue how to use a bus, um, anything, and stay in a hotel, running water. But she wins a whole lot of the contests, not all of them, but a lot of them in Russia. The thing about this book, though, is that while this is an amazing story, the author walks a fine line with also showing you how every time she goes back to her community, there's so much psychological dissonance because she, when she, the very first time she wins a chess match... Somebody interviews her when she's back in her community and says, how do you feel? What will you do tomorrow morning? And she says, look to see if there's enough food to eat. Mm. So it is such a powerful story around what it's like to be stepping out and be seen as somebody special and different by the rest of the world, but be also still living in this incredible poverty. And um, it's very touching and moving and really thoughtful that way.
0: An I mean, interesting, quite different approach. Yeah, you you always yeah. see the you know these basketball players or soccer players right. or or uh, I don't know great fishermen who come right. out of some you know small you know out of the way place right, but they manage to quote break free or get away or right. whatever and she's right. still going back because she's so young for one thing.
2: Yeah, she's now fifteen, but it's not. It, she's still going back and and the country itself. I mean, it's, things have not changed so she's not even becoming famous to a degree is a problem for her in the Mm -hmm. community Mm -hmm. because there's no place for that kind of stepping out and being different and unusual right and um so it's it's quite an interesting story on many levels wow i really i i was stunned when i was finished with it i just sat thinking
0: well see now there's a a wonderful there you because you read lots and lots of books and that you are stunned. That's what always amazes me when I, you know, because I read about 100 books a year for this show. Yeah. Which is plenty. <laughs> yeah. But when I find that one that just, you know, surprises me and stuns yes. me, it's it's got to be talked about.
2: Yep. I agree. This mm-hmm. one is really a great
0: So point. when you go into, let's say Copperfield's in Sebastopol, is this in a special spot or is it just on the shelf alphabetically or how do people find it? Well, we do shelf talkers. We
2: do little blurbs. We write about a book, and you have it.
0: Uh, your picks that you put together. We're working on
2: that. I mean, you're uh-huh. catching us where we're in process okay. of doing.
0: Because uh, well, I usually that's done for the holidays. There, mm-hmm. often they had been putting out a catalog. Right. I don't know if, right. if we're there here. are a lot yeah.
1: of different lists for the holidays, and a lot of them will be up on our website too. I have mm-hmm. a few
0: here. Speak. Is that right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. These are okay. Lists. And there, there's holiday picks for fiction, nonfiction, cookbooks. Uh, gift books, um, gifts, which is just not books, and then for ages uh, zero to seven, eight to twelve, thirteen and up, and stocking stuffers.
1: Yes, the the less expensive, including one
0: books. called "I Could Pee on This" and other poems by
1: cats. That's a really funny book.
0: I can tell because I, I I was a cat. Uh, I'm not owner. We you can't were a call him himself. I, no, I was. We had a cat who controlled our lives mm-hmm. for. A, Yes, Long they, period of time. When
1: you're not there, they can do all <laughs> kinds of things.
0: It's sort of like those oh. dinosaurs and dragons. You know, they <laughs> so have a, I another. Although the
1: cats are as well behaved.
0: Right. Um, so, what next book would you like to talk about? Well, hmm, something on the list?
1: Depends. Do we want to go older or younger or picture?
0: Well, we've done picture. Uh, is, are there any other pictures that are just you've got to see? Well, Pick up and hold in your hand and enjoy. And There
1: uh, are actually a ton of really good. There's a wide variety. We've got very imaginative fantasy kind of books. And then we've got books that are much more down to earth. Um, okay, one, do one uh, of humor. each. One of each. Well, one of the ones that's more down to earth. We also do board books for very oh, younger right. kids. Yes. And we recommend some. And one of them is... I Can Do It Myself, and Now I Am Big. But just very simple stories for very young kids with very thick pages. And there's, there's kind of a retro look to some of these books, which I really like. And um, another picture book that we didn't talk about is the Fantastic Flying Books of Mr. Morris Lessmore. Right. And it, that is a short animated film that won an award. Academy Award. By a guy who has written a lot of um, kids' books.
0: And if those people haven't seen it, it's probably going to be available on for Christmas, I think. The DVD, yeah. Oh, the DVD. But basically, the story is about a man who loves books. I mean, he lives books. Books are his existence. And this huge storm comes up, and they all travel to the winds, and then he goes out to try to retrieve them. Right, and And on the way,
1: he ends up with his flying books in this. Library of sorts that he yeah. caretakes his whole entire life. Right. Yeah. It's, right. it's a it's touch book story. lover's dream. It is. It is. Books about libraries are kind of a wonderful thing, and books about books, and books about how it's okay to just sit and get pleasure from reading a book. It's sometimes.
0: Now, here's a question. I'm going to put we you have on to the say spot. That it's
1: William Joyce. Oh, oh yes, yes. It's William, William Joyce.
0: Joyce. I'm going to put you on the spot because you just described something that every parent. Of a certain age, recalls and we recall those picture, those board books with the heavy, heavy, thick cardboard, where mm-hmm. you learned how a book worked, that you put it in a certain way and you looked at it and you turned it page to page. And when your parent would read to you or your you know, someone else would read to you, you learned how to use that book. But I understand that very young children are now doing whoosh, 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 whoosh on these little electronic devices. So. Where does the board book still fit in?
1: Well, you know, one of the reasons it's got those big, heavy pages is so it's much less, I won't say, indestructible, but you can put it in your mouth.
0: There's some that are waterproof. There are some that are waterproof, I there, there are yeah. that are
1: waterproof but it, children really learn by putting things in their mouths. That's why you know the dirt and all that kind of stuff. And when you put a board book in your mouth, it, you're not going to completely destroy it. But they're also not very expensive books, mm-hmm. so there's there's a disposable quality about them, kind of. And the oh, we don't ever throw them away, though we still. But board have, books, you yeah. can if they get too completely gummed up. But they also um, have very. Full stories now. It used to be just really simple, like A is for Apple, B is for Ball kind of thing. And now you get – they take picture books that have lots and lots of words. Like Madeline is a board book now. Hmm. And, that, and they do almost every word, not necessarily
0: every now word. Now I read two books, which were quite complex. I mean you know, the, the amounts of things going on in the illustrations right. were – Myriad. Every time you looked at it, you'd see somebody yeah. new with lowly worm or whatever.
1: Sometimes you've got it; they'd scale it down for the board book right. version. But um, So, yeah, there. Are, I think children or humans can really work <laughs> on many platforms. Right. And we can, especially if you start young, you can do it all. You don't think you have to do just one or the other. And okay. there's a place for all of it.
0: You are listening to Word by Word from KRCB-FM, where tonight's conversation about gift books for the holidays is with Copperfields Bookstore's knowledgeable frontlist buyers Cheryl Cutler and Michelle Bella. We already heard some wonderful suggestions, but wait, there's more. So, nonfiction books, um, we had we mentioned a cookbook. Are there other cookbooks? Let's see our list of cookbooks here.
1: There are so many cookbooks.
0: Cookbooks You've, are kind of a holiday thing, aren't they?
1: There's a great one to, called the Japanese Farm Food, which is coming out. And I really, it's just the, the texture of the pages is... Is different, and the the idea. There's a lot coming from, the texture from international of the pages. Are Whether, they on they're rice not, paper? They're not slick. They're kind of rough, and it's uh-huh. just an interesting format. Bouchon Bakery, or Napa County. Yeah, Thomas Keller has got a one for his bakery, and that is over the top decadent. I think <laughs> it's really interesting.
0: It's not all bread, huh?
1: No, 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 no. it's not bread. I don't even, yeah, there must be bread, but there's not. There's one is Vietnamese home cooking also. There's a European flavor for a lot of international cookbooks coming out this fall that are Mm. really interesting. And the Vietnamese home cooking uh, is by Charles Phan, who's the
2: chef at Slanted Door in San Francisco. Uh And uh, anyway, I wanted to throw that in. He's quite a wonderful chef.
0: S- and you're showing a, book called, a book called "Consider, Consider the Fork."
1: Gerald, you want to talk about? Well, this is the
2: fork? A, a who did this? Um, the author, thank you, mm-hmm. B. Wilson. This is a history is it B
0: with a no B E E like B like buzzing B
2: like buzzing. Wow, okay. And the subtitle is "A History of How We Cook and Eat." So it's like a 300-year history of the implements invented over time, in which cooks, the the implements. Cooks use in order to create their recipes, their meals, and uh, over hundreds of years, you can imagine how different how they've changed and evolved and become into fashion. To be just the knife on your belt, right, right. So you get the history of food itself told through the history of the various objects that were invented in order to cook and present food. So this manages to be a book that I think is fascinating for the foodies as well as fascinating for the history readers and just a fun narrative read that you how, just How far yourself. back does she go? I think 300 years. Ah. Let's see. Um, I'm saying that and I'm not entirely sure.
0: Because I understand the but, French invented well, the Well, it fork says prehistory. That, let's, oh, well. Let's go back a we're few. We're probably starting with oyster shells. Yeah, soon, let's so. go back yes. a f- ton right. more. Okay. Yeah. And if you didn't have a knife you'd go nap one.
2: Right? Yeah. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> yeah.
0: Okay. Uh what about what light can do?
2: You know, Robert Haas, what a brilliant man.
0: He was the poet laureate. Yes, yes.
2: yes. Um I believe he lives in the East Bay. We're lucky that mm-hmm. he's a Californian. Mm-hmm. He's won a number of awards in his life. Um he's written these fabulous essays. There is much a portrait of Haas's elegant thought process of as a virtuoso, and as they are as they are inquiries into their subjects which range from how we see and treat the earth to the relationships between literature and religion, and it goes on
0: there's a wonderful excerpt that I've read from there about Jack London, yeah and uh and I think Allen Ginsberg as well yes, that, that I've seen somewhere else yes and they've been he's combined them together um in one book, yeah, and that's great. It, I mean, it's it's. I guess you could call that a compilation of different essays. Is that yes, right?
2: yes? yes. There are there thir- over thirty essay- essays. I'm not sure I said the title. What light can do? What by light Robert can do by Haas. Robert Haas,
0: H A S S.
2: Yes, one of the fascinating essays. Very towards the end, it's not terribly long. Is an essay that he calls "Black Nature." where he is discussing the African American experience as nature writer and he takes it from the period of time of slavery and African Americans being introduced to Africans being introduced to America to work the land mm-hmm. and yet and then as we move into the 19th early 20th century how some of the writers start to write actually most of them are because of immigration or migration moving to cities but then the writings start to show up that have to do with relationship to land and it's not something that we, most of us Western readers really know much about and I love this little essay, it's just this gem in this book and it, that's one example of many, many different ways you could go in what he's talking about.
0: Well, that's, that's the one, there's, there's another book that I want to talk about it's called The End of Your Life Book club. Oh, God, what a great book. By Will Schwalb. Um, and the this, this setting for this, I'm going to give that. He was an editor for, I think editor-in-chief, actually, of Hyperion Press. Yes. And then I remember reading, you know, because I get this daily thing from Publishers Weekly, and I remember reading that he had resigned and no one knew quite why. Well, it turns out that he discovered that his mother had pancreatic cancer and that he needed to spend time with her, which he did for the remaining years of her life. And the the setup for it is that he would she was a million really to books. She you know, was the uh, director of admissions at Harvard. She traveled the, the globe for her nonprofit enterprises in Africa and Asia uh, and really loved books. And so he would ask her, um, "What book did you read that you want to share with me?" And that was kind of the setup for how to look at someone's life, which is not a bad way. To look at someone's life. Because we have different changes of interests and ideas, not just what's picked out by the booksellers, but, you know, where we are and why we walk into a store and go to a certain section.
2: I just read this book in the last few weeks, and I love it so much. I'm so glad it came up for discussion because one of the things I want to tell people is that this is not a sad book. No. It is really a book about living while you're dying, Which we all are all Exactly, exactly. And she's his mother, Marianne, is quite a go-getter. She's been a woman who's worked for women and children refugees for most of her life. One of her goals, which she, by the way, gets accomplished before she passes away, is to make sure that there is finally a library in Kabul, Afghanistan. So there's a theme of that running through the book, getting the funding and so forth to get that going. So Will accompanies company's mom to her chemo sessions and they're very boring you sit there for hours getting a drip and they stumble on talking that they've always done this that they talk to each other about what they're reading and make the decision that they're all they're each going to give each other the same book to read and discuss it each time they find quiet moments mostly there at the chemo treatments well It ranges from one extreme to another, the kinds of books they're reading. Sometimes something that was published 50 years ago, sometimes that's a book that was going to be published in a week. What they find is they end up realizing that they're actually having conversations on many levels as they're discussing the book. One might say to the other, well, how do you feel that author will or that character will handle something that happened to him that is so sad and the mother will say something, and Will will realize, well, gee, she's actually probably also talking about her husband who's mm-hmm. going to be left after she passes mm-hmm. away. It's so gorgeous. It's so moving. It's so intriguing. It's funny a little. It's full of life and philosophy, and, and it just it's just the best book ever. And I, I really hope people give it to each other and talk about it.
0: It's a really good gift book. Yes, and at the back of the book. And you shouldn't consider it just as a gift for someone who's ill.
2: Absolutely not. In fact, I gave it to somebody yesterday whose birthday it is, and he is not at all ill. He just is a great reader. Um, At the back of the book, they actually have a list of all the books they discussed in the entire chapter so that you can go back and get that list. And it's a 100 books or so. Mm -hmm. It's quite Mm -hmm. a long list. Wonderful book.
0: Wonderful book. When you think of wonderful books, Bella, Yes. Which ones do you remember? Which ones do I remember? Yeah, go back, oh, I don't know, as long as you want to. Um, that really had an well, impact. here's one, on you.
1: actually, the, that, um, the Madeline L'Engle book, that, we're having a 50th anniversary of her book, A Wrinkle in Time. Oh, yes. This year. Yes. And so that when they do that, they tend to bring out a hardcover version, but the, of course the paperback's still available. And that, I think, is an early introduction to science fiction. Which had a big influence on me. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed her books, and it's nice that they're still here. It's just one of the great things about kid books is people continue to give them to their children and their grandchildren, so it keeps them alive in a way that some some adult books are too, but not. I don't think as many.
0: Right. Well, I I know that you know I used to go to people's houses and there would always be bookshelves, and that you know my my son who's mid forties now is the same way. He has a few bookshelves, but they've gotten very limited as to what they keep there because it's all gone digital, you know, it's all on the hard drive somewhere. Which I think is too bad because I love to look at books on shelves and move them around and fondle them a little bit. It's
1: hard to give your friend a your copy of your book if it's digital. Well yeah,
0: it is actually mm-hmm. that's true. The um but we won't go there yet <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> I have thousands of books. You'd stumble over my books Oh, yeah. I mean, you'd have lots to I touch on imagine, about that. Yes. Yeah.
0: Which book do you re- recall with fondness that's still on a shelf at Copperfields?
2: I um, it's always this is always such a hard question to me.
0: Not the not the best. No, no, but...
2: because there's some that have moved me so much over the years that it's they're not there's not just one book. I will tell you that Toni Morrison ranks as one of the few authors in my life, because I have to read for a living, that I've actually read all of her books more than once, mm. all of them, and a couple of them three and four times. So that stands out. I just think she's Now, there's brilliant. a
0: question for you. Did they resonate with you at different ages yes. in your life? Yeah.
2: Yes. Yes. Yes.
0: Yes. Because she's aged with you.
2: Yeah. She, well, you know... For someone like her, I feel like I'm the one that's maturing each time I come to her book. The book exists as a finished novel, mm-hmm. so it's there's no words changed. But when I come to it, it's I have, I hope, a little more wisdom.
0: That's an interesting thought. Yeah, yeah the words haven't changed. No. but the reader, the reader has. Yes.
2: yes, yes. I have to grow more full each time I approach her book. So,
0: as a reader who comes up to the front desk or the I don't know, whatever it is you call it. Is that the front mm-hmm, desk? Mm-hmm. Uh, and says, I want a book about such and such, like so and so. How do your uh, retail, what are they called, booksellers, mm-hmm. um, know how to match things up? Do they do you do a prompt for them? Do they get little cue cards or, you know?
1: Well, if they know, if you can tell them that you liked a particular book and what you liked, that, that makes all the difference really. Because well, yes. you're gonna have
0: yes. what, I don't know how many titles well, there's a good question. How many new titles come into the store each each month? Each month? Yes. Oh it golly. depends
1: on the time of year. Yeah. This time of year. This time of year. Hundreds. Thousands. Well we
2: yeah, thousands is probably more accurate. Yeah. When you think that we saw recently one publisher, one half of one publisher. For the spring season, I'll just give you an example Random House, one half of that company for one quarter of the year, and we had to look at 600 titles. Whoa. That shows you.
0: Well, what's going to happen with this new consolidation that's in the works?
1: Well, who knows? Good question. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Is that Uh, good or bad for readers? Uh, It it doesn't have
1: to be bad. I mean, Random House is so big. I love how you
0: couched that. It doesn't have to be bad.
1: But, you know, well, big business. I mean, we're all. Yeah. Yeah. This is Sonoma County, right? We're not really into big business but it seems like it's an evil thing but there are economies of scale that make it so it does make sense and we have more than one store because the economics of it make it much more viable
0: Mm
2: -hmm. i think it's too early it's a wait and see but i'm not completely anti that this happened and i was in a discussion with a friend yesterday who was horrified that i wasn't anti that it happened well random house
1: is a really seems to be, they treat their representatives Are they very Are going to call it Penguin well. House, though, or no, Random no. Penguin? What random is it? House uh. Penguin. No, I
0: think Random Penguin's better. I think yeah. We're call it penguin. <laughs> we joked about <laughs> Penguin being, Random. Penguin yes. House. Penguin yeah. House. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of houses, that's a perfect tie-in to Roundhouse.
2: Oh, I I really would love to talk about this book. I know that.
0: <laughs> Louise Erdrich.
2: You know, Louise Erdrich, um, she's um, half Native American, Chicksaw. I'm sorry, is that right? No, Objehobo. Ojibwe. Ojibwe? Ojibwe? Ojibwe. This book, she's been a wonderful writer for her entire career. But I really, really, really think that Roundhouse is like another level of good quality writing and good quality story from Louise. This book, by the way, is one of the five finalists for the National Book Award. And what she manages to do in this story, it's set on the Ojibwe reservation, present day. There's a woman who is very much of a community leader who has some horrible violence perpetrated against her, and she comes home quite ruined and destroyed and distraught from this. And her husband is a tribal judge, and they have one boy. He's a 14-year-old. So the whole family is really thrown into disarray and and uh, pain because of what happens to the mother. Throughout the story, the young boy, they're trying to figure out who was the perpetrator of this event. So there's a suspense element. Uh, the boy, what I love is that she manages to pull off this his adolescent angst when he's hanging with his other 14-year-old buddies that is so perfect, so pitch perfect, where they're comparing themselves to each other. They're joking about girls. They're seeing who can ride their bikes fastest. So there's that quality of reality and then there's the reality of the family that's falling apart, and they all love each other very much, but how to deal with that incredible pain. And the third reality is is that the question is when they figure out what, they know what the crime is, but when they try and figure out where it happened, she's having memory issues about where it happened because if it's on the reservation, there's certain authorities that have to resolve it. If it's off the reservation, there's other authorities. And this come, brings into question sovereignty and the rights of Native Americans today to have
0: justice. Right. And tribal tribal justice is different than yes. uh, Western justice, I guess we'll call it. Right. Uh, and American it is a, justice.
2: it's especially painful when the crime is so horrific as it is that they cannot seem to find it's out. It's a hate crime. Yes. yes. They cannot seem to find out who should be taking on the perpetrator and getting justice Brought to the fore, so but
0: the fourteen-year-old knows for sure who did it. Well, at least that's what he, he he believes.
2: Yes, he believes, and he has some actions, choices he makes late in the book. There are other people that come to the conclusion sooner than the fourteen-year-old boy. He's, but um, it, oh my God, what an incredible story! And I, that's why I'm raving about it too. That I love these books where all of the various layers are all very well developed. Mm -hmm. There's no dropped ball anywhere.
0: No dropped ball anywhere. Yeah. Okay, That's a good line, too. I like that. Let's look at short stories. Short story collections always have an interesting, seems to me, a life. You know, we talked about the collection of essays earlier by Robert Haas, but there's a a selection of short stories, which are fictional stories, by Joan Wickersham called News from Spain that you Mm -hmm. love.
2: Oh, my God, this is great. And I have this little shtick in the world, <laughs> which I hope, I don't know why, i am but I really want to get people to, when you say to somebody, here's a great book, it's short stories, and they go, oh, well, I don't read short stories. I really want to get past that hump. So up until the day I die, it's one of my passions in the world, is to convince people not to have that idea that there is something less satisfying in a short story collection than there is in an entire novel with this collection news from Spain there is a theme that um, runs through the stories and one thing that's really kind of funny about it is is that each short story is titled news from Spain. Mm-hmm. So is that right? Yes. So when you How make you a know joke which is one? right when you make a joke saying, "Oh, I really love the one called News from Spain." Well, they're all called <laughs> news. In any
0: case, the stories if I've got this right, what I understand is it's stories about Mozart. It's stories about a love triangle between a doctor, a journalist, and the president's wife. Right. It's a story about a race car driver's widow, a nursing home resident, and her daughter, a parallels dancer who's married to a famous choreographer, et cetera, et cetera. It's a really disparate uh, group of people, but they all had news from Spain. So there's
2: two parts. Yes, you are correct. There are a different sort of collections of eras, times, and characters, but... In each story, there is some reference to, well, we should know about this because the news from Spain is... I see, that, that the rain is mainly used, on the plane? It's used perfectly. It's not um, artificial, where that phrase will come in each story. But what's more important that connects the story, stories is that all of them have to do with love, with how we love, what we expect from love, and what we actually get, and therefore how we handle what we actually get. That's the the beauty of this collection of stories,
0: so are these stories that you would read one at a time in sequence? No. Does it matter? One at you I, can pop in and out or what
2: you could i to me, it read like a novel, okay I, from front to back it they, it has a flow, it has meaning. I actually think that when they publish books like this, they very carefully choose what's first, what's second, what's mm-hmm. third. Mm-hmm. And I think that one should, on faith, honor the editor and the author and right. read them in the order.
0: I was just interviewing T.C. Boyle for last month, and his new book that's, you know, in the works now is yes. his second short story collection. And that's one of the things they were going over and over. How do you put them together? Mm-hmm. And uh, a year ago, he was doing it one way, and now he's doing it another way. So mm-hmm. it would be interesting to see what the final composite is. But yes. yeah, there's a lot of thought process that goes right. into well,
1: this. Well, it would make a huge difference sure. in how yeah. you read the next story right? based on right. what right. you just read and what right. your understanding is of the writer.
0: Mm-hmm. Are there young adult or or uh, teen, preen what do we call them, tween books that are also story collections that you There can are think story of?
1: collections, not a lot. One of the uh trend that's happening with YA novels is writing in, in like a poem. Trilogies? Like the whole no the whole oh. thing is oh. in verse. And um it's uh, Hopkins does it a lot. It's very interesting. You and I thought the very first time I saw it that it would be not engaging, but it can be. It depends on the writer. So there's there's new things happening all the time. You as long as it's
0: can... n- I'm sorry. As long as it's not written in middle English. Huh? No,
1: no, okay. it's not another well, I, language. I was imagining that might be the hip hop and
2: the rap community might have some influence on that showing up in the preteen. Maybe,
1: maybe, maybe. No. It feels like a. Some authors just choose to express themselves that way.
0: Right. Uh, Okay, let's talk about a serialized uh, trilogy of a book called The False Prince. Ah. This is a book. Let me find who the author is. It is, uh, I've got it here, yes. Jennifer Nielsen Ah. with S E N.
1: False Prince is great and a lot of the kids stories have very similar plots. It seems like there it's, it's another trilogy mm-hmm. and this is the the Missing Prince story. And but it's different. I mean, her writing style is excellent and it's it's so much It's adventure. different in
0: that her writing style is well, excellent. Well
1: no that oh, I guess I shouldn't put it quite that way. But um <laughs> They all bring a, a different world to life, right. you know, to delve into. And this is the beginning of a trilogy, and um, I think that people will, who like adventure stories will love this book.
0: The the blurb about this book has a great opening line. It says, "In a discontent kingdom," mm-hmm. isn't that just evocative? Doesn't mm-hmm. that just, whoa? What does that mean? A discontent kingdom. Talks about uh, the fact that they—it's kind of like uh, the Prince and the Pauper. They're going to look for a yes. someone to take the place of the real prince yes. for a variety of reasons. A do duel is, in and they have trying. select four people, young, four orphans, people. Yeah. and
1: then they try to decide which one looks the most and acts the most like this missing prince. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to give it away. No, but there's yeah. a secret, isn't there? No, oh, of course. Well, of course there's there is a secret and yes. a reveal and a change, <laughs> and it's it's fun. It's, it's fun, fun, fun to read. Good.
0: So, uh, in fact, what I'm going to do is right now, one of the things we talked about a little bit before the show is marketing. And there, um, there is a video. Uh, this is kind of a new thing. I guess you would call it a, a preview of a book. But book it's trailers. done book trailers, yeah. like a movie trailer. And mm-hmm. there's a 30 second video that I'm going to play now.
2: We were taken away, pitted against
0: each other, four orphans vying for a stolen crown, judged on our bravery, our strength, our wits. And most importantly, our willingness to lie. Each of us has a choice between living someone else's life and losing huh? It's a way for people to get a visual for uh, these books. And, and do you see this happening more and more, what they call the enhanced books?
1: Well, they're doing a lot of book trailers for YA books, mm-hmm. because... Part of it, I think, is that teenagers are so plugged in. They're online all the time. They're they're creating lists. They're reading blogs from other teenagers about what to read, and it's just another way to put your product out there, mm-hmm. to put it in your face. And if the more interesting ones, it's true, you know, you want to make something that goes viral,
0: right. if you can.
1: Right. There's an interesting website called Goodreads. That yes. A lot of teenagers really. Do they? Yes. Really? You, look at some you kind of, the, of share
0: your list of books you liked. Yes, you share your disliked. books.
1: So you, write, you, you can write your own reviews. You can read what other people have written about it, and they have spoiler alerts. So you, if you don't want to read it, you know you don't want to know what happens. You don't have to. And I've just noticed there's a lot of teen uh, involvement. Mm-hmm. You in, don't want to write a
0: book reads. report for school, but writing for your friends, that's, well, that's a whole t- different thing. That's yeah. completely different. Completely yeah. different. Because that's a matter of opinion. Yeah. Well. That's right.
1: And you can say whatever you want. That's right. Yeah.
0: You can't to the teacher.
1: One thinks not.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so this this is a, is this an exciting holiday season? Will there be lots of books flying out of the doors oh, just just as though the wind came and took?
2: It it feels like what my sister used to say is hog heaven. There's just so many good books that I, it's all I can do to sit there and work when I just want to read all day long. There's That's just the a problem stuff. for
1: everybody who works in a bookstore. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. Right.
0: That would be a difficult problem to have. Yeah. yeah. Well, I want to thank both Cheryl Kotler and Michelle Bella for coming and sharing their list of books to give these holiday seasons and for, to keep on your shelf and share and just enjoy. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. Thank you,
0: Gil. As Cheryl and Bella were leaving the studio, they gave me a copy of Robin Sloan's novel, Mr. Penumbra's 24-Hour Bookstore. The setting is a tall, narrow bookshop on a San Francisco side street where shelves rise three stories in the air, and the newly hired clerk has to dash up wheeled ladders and lean out to grab particular titles from a shelf. Since the store is indeed open 24 hours each day, there is a different bookseller assigned to each eight-hour shift, but as Mr. Penumbra explains, the clerks must not read any of the books on the high back shelves. Instead, they can read the used and new copies of backlist science fiction, mystery, and chess books that line the low shelves in the front of the shop. Mr. Penumbra's 24-Hour Bookstore is a book about computers, both old and new, The Octopus, known as Google, a 500-year-old secret society, and what it means to be a bookseller who falls in love with a computer programmer who has dozens of identical red T-shirts simply because it makes the task of dressing easier each morning. This is an intriguing, entertaining, and... Quite fun book that I personally recommend. So, to sum up the list of other books mentioned on today's show, for novels we had Barbara Kingsolver's *Flight Behavior*, and Louise Erdrich's *Round House*, which, as predicted in the conversation, has been selected as this year's National Book Award winner. For juvenile novels, we had *Every Day* by David Levithan, *False Prince*, Book One of the Ascendance Trilogy by Jennifer A. Nielsen. For short stories, we had News from Spain, Seven Variations on a Love Story, by Joan Wickersham. For nonfiction, we had a variety of ingredients. The Queen of Cotway, by Tim Cruthers, The End of Your Life Book Club, by Will Schwab, What Light Can Do, Essays on Art, Imagination, and the Natural World, by Robert Haas. And Black Fire, by Robert Graysmith. For cookbooks, we looked at Jerusalem, a cookbook, by Yotam Otolenghi and Sammy Tamimi. And Consider the Fork, a history of how we cook and eat, by B. Wilson. For children's picture books, we looked at and enjoyed Dragons Love Tacos, by Adam Rubin, with illustrations by Daniel Salmieri. How Do Dinosaurs Say Happy Hanukkah? by Janet Yolen. The Fantastic Flying Books of Morris Lessmore by William Joyce with illustrations by Joe Bloom. And at the end, there's a stocking stuffer with the amusing title, I Could Pee on This, and other poems by cats by Francesco Marchuliano. We hope you will keep these book suggestions in mind as you purchase gifts for the holidays. We want to thank you for sharing an hour with us on BFM's Word by Word. Our studio engineer is Mark Fuller, Our program director is Robin Pressman, and I am your host, Gil Manser. Everyone at North Bay Public Media, KRCB-FM, wishes you, our incredibly marvelous listening audience, the merriest holiday season. We invite you to tune in next year at 7 o'clock Wednesday evening, January 2nd, for our next word-by-word broadcast. We will leave you tonight with our catchy new theme music, Bill Conti's Glider One.